previously on Two Star Two Trek. You know, it has a really good insight as, you know, Chakotay's like, I figured it out. We'll blast the comet and then Voyager will take a left instead of a right and we won't even show up here. And he's like, oh, good idea. Let's see what happens, Chakotay. And it, you know, blows up millions and billions of civilizations. And he's like, Chakotay, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> you, you ruined civilization. <laughs> Greetings, friends and fellow Trekkies. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant and Two Star Two Trek, a limited podcast series where we discuss the two-parters of all of Star Trek. Tonight, we are talking about The Killing Game. It's from Voyager. It's the 18th and 19th episodes of the fourth season. So right kind of smack in the middle of the series. Fantastic. My name is Ryan. I am joined, of course, by my lovely co-host, Caitlin. Hi. And two lovely guests. We have Steph returning from a one-episode absence. And Dylan, who we haven't heard from in a while. Dylan, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, got my second COVID vaccine inside of me, uh, which is funny. Yeah. But uh, then I got bit by a tick, so now I'm just hoping I don't have Lyme disease. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Steph, are you disease-free? I am disease-free. I'm very lucky to have gotten my COVID vaccine way at the start in the beginning. Um, and now I'm continuing to live my life by just sitting on my couch, never leaving home and just watching Star Trek. So it's great. Fan- fantastic. It sounds like the perfect world. Uh, the people who are not living in the perfect world in this episode, though, are definitely the entire crew of Voyager, with the exception of one Harry Kim. No, Harry Kim's not got having a good time. That's true. He's straight up not having a good time. He's not trapped in a holodeck, though. That's true. He kind of wanders in and out of it as more and more of the ship becomes the holodeck. Yeah, this episode is wild. Um, starts off with a very awesome scene in which... Uh, Kate Mulgrew is decked out in Klingon makeup and gear and is fighting Klingons. And like, I think it's like really cool that they always have to find an excuse to get the captain in Klingon makeup. You know, we saw it in DS9. We saw it in TNG. We see it here. It's just a great little, you know, tradition in Trek. Kate Mulgrew has such a distinctive voice. Everyone just wants to be a Klingon, you know? <laughs> True. <laughs> Just, it's the Aristocats. <laughs> Klingons are humans in their purest form. Fair. Yeah. Good point. And, I mean, you know, six hours in the makeup chair, worth it, right? For one scene. And then it's revealed that the Herogens have taken over Voyager and are just abusing the holodeck to essentially hunt the scariest game ever, man. And it's just... I, I don't know. Like, very Lord of the Flies, very Predator-esque. I do like that they keep having to bring their toys back to sickbay to get put back together again so they can go do it again. Yeah. Is the short story where the guy is on the island and he gets hunted by the rich guy, is that also called The Killing Game? Is it the same? Oh, it might be. I haven't read that in a very long time. I think I read it in, like, Freshman Lit. Yeah, that's when I read it as well. 
yeah, that's that's been a long, long time. But yeah, this episode is like just kind of like what if holodeck episode, but bad because most holodeck episodes are like you know Captain Proton or <laughs> you know the the start of the uh, TNG movies where everybody's on a boat. <laughs> you know, yeah. like Janeway's having is lunch with Da Vinci. Yeah, and right. They have weird sexual tension. Like it's nice and <laughs> nice and soft. You know, it's like it's like this is this is nice. <laughs> and then this is this is not nice. No, and you find out pretty quickly. Like they're they're in Klingon, you know, battle simulations, and then they're in Nazi occupied France, and all the safety protocols are off, and it's not great. Yeah, no, safety protocols on the holodeck are always fun when they're off, because you get, you know, great scenes, like, you know, this entire two-parter, and then uh, we actually, for First Contact Day, watched First Contact, and that famously has a scene where Jean-Luc Picard pulls out a Tommy gun and guns down the board because the safety protocols are off. Ah, yes. So, yes, always make sure... To have your safety protocols on in your holodeck. Yeah, we start off, we have two simulations. Um, everybody's being carted back to sick bay like all of the time. The doctor's not happy about it. No, but what's he going to do about it? Right. And and the, the answer to that is he's going to team up with Harry Kim and save the show. <laughs> save the ship. Two episodes. They're the heroes. It's very, very cool. I mean, we could argue that the Doctor is the hero in pretty much every scenario that happens because every species, every villain that comes along always underestimates the Doctor because he's just a hologram. So then he shows up and he's like, fine, well, I'll just do all this shit myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had it in uh, the episode with Studer uh, Basics where it's just the Doctor on the ship. So it is kind of cool to see Robert Picardo at it again. I kind of wanted to see him, like, find ways to insert himself into the running holodeck to, like, sabotage the Herogen himself. Mm, yeah. But we didn't really get that, which is it's fine, but I just, like, know from other episodes he has the capability to, like, do things like that if the writers so choose to have him do that. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and the, the big thing, the big uh, plot device to keep the crew docile and, you know, endlessly running these simulations for the Herogians is they all have neural implants that make them think the holodeck is real. So they all have a part to play, a character to play. But I think, like, even though it's a holodeck, one thing I think that's really cool about this episode is they don't do any body modification or anything like that. Like, Seven still has, like, her eyepiece. Well, yeah, there's the the thing at the beginning with Janeway as a Klingon, and I think the only reason they actually put that in was that they could then later explain away Bolana Torres's huge prego belly, which I guess was the actress's real prego belly. Yes. But they'd been hiding it all season. And so they were like, this is an excuse for us to say, oh, it's a holographic prego belly, isn't that cool? And then so she didn't have, she actually got to like look exhausted and pregnant the whole time, which, you know, that's great. I Good for her. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> I think it's really cool though, especially because like a lot of this episode, a lot of this two-parter takes place 
in the World War II simulation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're just, like, flipping through the channels and everything like that, you see Herogens in Nazi uniforms. So it's like, oh, maybe this is, like, Indiana Jones. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, wait, no, it's not. This is Star Trek. And I think it, like, kind of blends that sci-fi futuristic holodeck, like, ideal really, really well. I think it's a cool decision. Well, and it's it's wild to me how the... Well, we haven't really gotten there yet, but just how stuff that's real in the holodeck can move outside of the holodeck, sort of. Um, Oh, yeah, we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah, which happens in a couple of instances. That was one of, like, the cooler sci-fi parts to me, and that... Mm -hmm. It makes sense that it could happen that way because the the replicator exists. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so people could walk off the set of the World War II hologram with their M1 Grand and it, it works. Which yeah. Is cool. It, it was actually because um, just to to throw in the Star Trek techno babble, it was because they had set up um, holographic emitters everywhere on the ship for the doctor to get up and move around. So they had started to put those everywhere. So when the holodeck started to spill out, those were already in place, which is one of the rare reasons why Voyager could pull this off by having the holographic simulation spill out of the of the um, sim itself. So that was like a really cool carry on moment. Like they set themselves up for this to happen. And I just want to point out, like you don't see it very often that an alien species comes along um, and they use the holodeck to their, to their own, um, for their own reasons. Cause normally we get like a villain in the holodeck, you know, like Moriarty from TNG, but we rarely get an alien that comes along and is like, oh, this is cool technology. I'm going to use it for evil. Like, we don't see that very often. So it was really cool to see the Horrigen come along and be like, hey, I got an idea. Well, the, <laughs> the Horrigen, like, it's interesting. I, I still haven't quite bitten into the sandwich yet as far as like, what's the parallel of nazism with them and like their leader and kind of his take on the hollow tech versus the hollow deck tech versus his second who is kind of the true villain of the whole thing uh and i mean he's he's in the nazi uniform too which so he has to be the whole the full villain but like why that their their culture, which is kind of different, it, like not Nazis, but like they, it, why did they choose World War Two and Nazis? I guess you know for the setting. I yeah. have a feeling some one of them was was a a little bit of a nerd and was reading through um, human history, right? Because this is the first time that they've really dealt with a human species, so they probably were looking up this history and then they saw the Nazis, World War Two, and they were like, hey. Hey, these Nazis—they're a lot like us, you know. This whole like superiority bullshit and and everything, and you know, dominance and and hunting down people during the resistance and and everything. And, and they kind of saw themselves in the Nazis, which is probably why they set up that scenario. Yeah, I, I think it to me it, it came across as a little bit of that and a little bit of you know we we did you know a Google search in the Voyager computer. 
<laughs> and uh, what is the worst time in human history? Oh, hmm. like they're you know they they fought a worldwide war twice. Right. You know, <laughs> um, technically, I, yeah. I'm just sad they well, didn't. Yeah, they there didn't. Is a third world Right? There, there's a third world war, and then there's also the eugenic wars that happened in the 90s. I'm actually really yep. disappointed that Star Trek hasn't done um, eugenic war simulation in the holodeck. Oh, man, that would be cool. Why episode. wouldn't it be so great just to, like, get a glimpse? Because it is a horrible, horrible time that humans set up for themselves. I'm like, let's let's do a little bit of that. Not that we don't love a good World War II scenario. It's it's just right. nice to see Star Trek every once in a while visit um, to step into the past that is actually technically our future. So unknown settings are fun too. I think the thing about the, the Nazis and you know why the Herodian chose to use uh, you know the, the era of World War Two, you know if you're looking back on paper as to these forces that were rising on Earth at the time. You see these people who, you know, again, firmly believed that they were superior genetically and that they had the ability to re- restore order to the world that they saw, it, you know, in the way that they see it. And what I think is interesting between, like, the, the first commander and his second is how differently they feel when they're actually confronted with the reality of what the Nazis were doing. Because you've got, like, the commander who is, you know, concerned about the state of the Herogen people and culture and how they're going to move forward and kind of trying to sneakily teach them about other cultures. But then you've got, you know, his, his lieutenant who is very much like, why aren't we moving along with this? Like, this is stupid. Like we have what we want. We won. Let's keep going. And so he kind of buys into the Nazi bullshit, but at the same time, like even looks down his nose at it. So it's like he takes all the wrong lessons from it. I think it's really cool that I don't want to say we have like a hero Herosian and like, you know, his lieutenant who's clearly the villain. But to to kind of see that like that schism and that split in ideology just kind of I think is on purpose because, you know, obviously World War II humanity was going through the same thing at that point. You know, it was it was huge battles of ideology that ended up taking lives. And to have that paralleled in this is, I think, a very clever story tactic. Plus, like, you know, here in America, at least, you know, World War Two is kind of like our big hero moment. We romanticize and think very highly of ourselves and build a lot of our identity around that. Um, just in general broad strokes. But this is all set in France, which is real fun because you get to do things like Neelix delivering baguettes every morning. <laughs> which is Neelix on that silly little bike. Oh, gosh. Like when they cut to him like riding the bike down the alley and everything like that. It's just, like, I really expect, like, you know, the music to shift, the tone, like, the whole line, you know? Almost like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right! (laughs) Exactly. Just like that. And then Neelix ends up getting, like, gunned down. And then they drop Neelix in the Klingon simulation, which we'll get to. (laughs) 
Because, yeah, Neelix as a Klingon is not as entertaining and uh, great as, you know, Janeway as a Klingon, to say the least. That's where we're at. And then, of course, you get, like, everybody's, like, World War II doppelgangers, which is really cool. You get, you know, Seven of Nine is a lounge singer. Um, You know, Chakotay is leading the French resistance with Tom Paris. Uh, sure. You know, J- yeah, sure. Uh, Janeway is in charge of like this bar. Maybe she's like she's wheeling and dealing, right? In a hot so, ass suit. Might I just like give a shout out to the costume department for this part? <laughs> my because, God, it's it's glorious, right? They could have. Uh, it was just fabulous. Like I, I have no words for how good Janeway looks. Like if you don't know, Google that picture. Janeway looks like such a badass and she just carries herself so well i was worried that they would throw like janeway in a dress kind of make her look very cliche but they were like nope she no, is they, in they charge go, they go hepburn with it they yes. go Catherine hepburn with it which like her voice already evokes that so they were just like we're just gonna lean into this and give her all the pants <laughs> <laughs> and then a white suit too just ugh. hell yeah no white suits are classy if anybody ever asks white suits are always classy but Seven of Nine, she's like a sultry little like lounge singer, and I just want to say like Jerry Ryan's got some pipes. Yes, that is like, actually her singing in those scenes. That is actually it's her awesome. voice, which I did not know the first time I watched that. I thought it was just another dub. I didn't realize that um, that she had such a good vocal range. Yeah, like I mean, I was pretty sure it was her because I mean she's definitely not a professional singer. And that's fine. But she's having a good time and like the song is good and she's she's got that confidence on stage, which is really funny when like she turns back into Seven of Nine, you know, and she's like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she doesn't like to sing as as seven. You know, Jerry Ryan, pretty decent singer, like, very surprising. Yeah. Definitely turning some heads. I mean, obviously we've discussed this before. She's got the looks, like, that is not a question at all. But, yeah, she uh, eventually ends up getting gunned down with Neelix as well. And then, because she is a Borg, the Doctor is able to circumvent the neural implants to make her think she is the character that she is supposed to be, and thus starts the Resistance. And we get some pretty cool scenes with uh, her and Janeway breaking into Nazi headquarters. Well, and she's she's not the first one who's you know kind of free of the the neural implants and whatnot because Harry Kim never got any. Harry Kim's been getting the crap kicked out of him everywhere on this damn ship so that he can keep the systems running for uh, the occupiers. Yeah, but I mean, it did give Harry Kim the chance to kind of come into his own. It's taken us four seasons to really go to good Harry Kim in charge and not being a supporting member to the rest of the cast. So it was it was nice to see him and the Doctor kind of get a chance to really work together and, and scheme and Harry just have to stand up to the erosion on his own and knowing that he's the most senior officer in charge at that moment. Everyone else is off being brainwashed and playing games. He has to be the leader. And it was it was really great to see Harry Kim in that role. Because up until that point, the writers really weren't giving him much to go with. Um, 
And in behind the scenes, they actually did say, though, that this, seeing how well uh, Garrett Wang did and, and the Harry Kim character did, it it gave them incentive to give Harry more storyline and then more to do in the future. This is also, I want to note, my biggest gripe with Voyager, um, this is also alternate Harry Kim. Because <laughs> yeah. at one point in the second season, uh, Harry Kim gets blown out of an airlock. Yeah, the gets, original Harry Kim is dead. Long live Harry Kim. Right. But you and know, gets replaced with an alternate reality Harry Kim. And no one ever comments on it. <laughs> but you know, he's he's not the only one who got replaced. In that episode? I thought it was just him. Did no. the baby get replaced? Yeah, too? yeah. Um, what's her name? The Naomi Waldman? Yes, Naomi Waldman got replaced as well because she... Uh, well, she's a baby. She officer, don't remember. Okay, but Officer Wildman <laughs> does. Okay, she, she her baby died after she gave birth. So Naomi Wildman is actually a double that survived. True, true. So there's two of them. Wild. Two, yeah, there's there's two clones running around. And to it's be fair, very, very Janeway has also had a lot of I think time loop replacements as well, or at least moments where some version of herself shows up and is like, hey. Here's the deal. So right. she's also got to <laughs> kind of deal with that little bit of nonsense as well. She faxes herself from the future. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much at this point, she's like, this is this is old for her. Like a clone of herself shows up and is like, hey, this thing is going to happen. And Janeway's like, fucking hell, not again. <laughs> Can we take a quick aside to talk about Janeway for a second? I mean, Always. As far as how... <laughs> Uh, Caitlin and I, with all of the announcements on First Contact Day a couple days ago, Caitlin nailed it. Apparently, the new Nickelodeon show, Star Trek Prodigy, Mm -hmm. takes place in the Delta Quadrant. Yes. And Kate Mulgrew is reprising her role as an animated Janeway, but it's not actually Janeway. It's a hologram of Janeway. Well, yes. It's funny because before we knew what Janeway was going to be doing in the show, I was like, I bet it's like an emergency Janeway protocol hologram for like when you get lost somewhere weird, she pops up. And apparently that's exactly <laughs> what the show is. These kids somehow get themselves lost in the Delta Quadrant and they get like the emergency Janeway hologram. I, I love Honestly, it. Honestly, yeah, like everybody needs... Janeway in like a glass box that you break in case of emergency. (laughs) I've only seen five episodes of this, but she's fantastic and she can save the day anytime. Like she's just on her shit all the time. I hope I hope Prodigy gives her a lot of like EMH type comments or she at least, you know, calls out um it makes callbacks to the doctor's role in all of this because I'm sure uh, hologram right. Janeway will be very self-aware. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's no way, there's no way. They, well, and Kimo the, is an executive producer on it as well, so like yes. she's getting a lot of input into how the character looks, how she speaks, what she's saying. Um, she's getting a lot of ownership over the show, and that 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 makes me really happy. Well. Like, you know, speaking to, you know, the agency of a hologram, and if this hologram is going to, like, call back to the doctor, but still also, like, reflect the personality of Get Shit Done Janeway, I want it to be known the first picture of this version of Janeway released has her holding a giant cup of coffee. Yes. (laughs) 
So, yeah, no, this hologram ain't gonna be fucking around. She's gonna be getting shit done. Very excited. Can you imagine being stuck in another quadrant of space as a child and Janeway is your role model? I would kill for that to happen. <laughs> right? Like, shoot me off in a spaceship. My only companion is a hologram of Janeway. I will be living my best life. Yeah. Are you sure there's not, like, a hologram of the best pilot ever, Tom Paris, also in that hard drive? No, sorry. That that file was definitely corrupted multiple times over. With a hammer? With a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Was that the the American soldier? Yes. Guy. The the blonde. The bad boy. What's up with him? <laughs> okay, well, obviously you have not been listening to the previous episodes. Actually, I don't think most of them are out yet. But every episode, we try to figure what the hell up is up with Paris, and we don't have an answer. Like Chakotay's character, like makes sense, but that dude was just there. He was just there. <laughs> <laughs> That's Tom Paris. He does. Uh, I will say in the second episode. Um, when we were watching it, he does make a comment to Harry Kim that's, like, a little racist. Oh, yeah, when he's like, oh, you speak English? And Harry Kim's like, yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Because, <laughs> like, he still thinks he's, like, you're this... like, oh, right, it's World War II. He's very Asian. Uh... Yep. <laughs> Here we are. Yep. He, like, turns I... the corner and he points a gun at him and it's like, you speak English? What are your clothes? You look like a civilian. Are you sure you're not a traitor? He follows it up with immediate compulsory uh, heteronormativity when he's like, if you saw Betty Grable right now, what part of her body would you be looking at? Uh... Like, what? <laughs> I, um, um... See, the the thing uh, is, too, you're like, even though you know Paris is brainwashed to be very American, you're also, like, at the same time, you're like, oh, this isn't really out of character for him. Like, how much, they only had to brainwash him a smidgen, everyone else, like, full, like, uh, a full 180 personality change for the most part. But Paris, they were like, right. eh, you just need just a small <laughs> twist and you're there. Yeah, like, everybody else is stretching them acting muscles, like, getting to do something different. And, like, Tom Paris is like, I don't know, you're wearing a hat? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's all you get. You get a hat. Yeah. Dylan, I'm actually really curious as to what you thought. You said you thought uh, all of the stuff with Chakotay was really cool compared to, you know, Mr. White Man Tom Paris. What, like, stood out for you in that? Oh, I just, I mean, we have uh, the officer. I mean, and, and I know... You kind of mentioned it earlier that in the holodeck, everybody is just themselves. Nobody like looks different. Um, right. He has an officer role in World War II. Um, he's a person of color, right? Um, yeah. And so, like, I, I that's cool to see um, and very in keeping with kind of Star Trek and usually the bit that they kind of do with this stuff. I also just, like, he he plays the the commander well. I, I think yep. so. I, I just enjoyed him. And and I think that, again, like I haven't watched a ton of the series, but I can immediately tell like that guy, he's second in command on on Voyager. Mm-hmm. He is a very specific type of character that I think plays excellent alongside Janeway. Uh, the other episodes or episode and a half that I watched was the two parter that you guys watched before this um, that had Red Foreman in it. And he he goes to Janeway, who has a never give up 
we're doing it my way or the highway attitude in that episode and convinces her to to do something that she wouldn't normally do and is softer um than she is i think but is still this like very strong masculine presence which is cool and helps make janeway i think work better again like i'm barely familiar with voyager uh and i like don't most people not like voyager and isn't a lot of it just like blatant sexism (laughs) is that like that's my understanding like going to watch the show like i was like okay like everything that i've been told about this is that it's not good that it's the worst star trek and i wondered if is it just because there's a female captain yeah exactly it's bad yeah, and because, um, like, everything I've seen so far, like, I'm okay with. Like, I'm not, like, oh, this isn't... I, I have some very real production problems. Um, I do think this is a much lower pr- production value show than DS9, um, which yeah. I would oh, compare yeah, it to. Um, does not have the same amount of budget. Like, these episodes were both single cam, and so there's some very cool things that they do with that. But the like lighting like there's just not as much time or as many lights yeah put into this however the the digital sensors are great sorry to go off topic there but yeah that that's okay. no worries no but i voyager would like to definitely voyager definitely has a reputation for being high camp uh for being goofy especially knowing you know and we've talked about this in previous episodes but the overlap between TNG starting, DS9 starting before TNG ends, and then Voyager starting basically in like the second or third season. Yeah, of it was DS9. like the end of the third. So like you know, Voyager in a, in a lot of ways was reactionary to how dark you know DS9 was thematically, and really wanting to have that Lost in Space vibe, which is you know again a more sixties like kind of campy vibe. Um, you can tell that there's at times uh, differences between like the writing team and then what actually makes it on screen. Like Year of Hell is a really good example of that, where they wanted this, you know, kind of torn up season where the crew was having to, to suffer through and there would be real consequences. But then, you know, they, they chickened out and you get the two-parter where everything snaps back to uh, the status quo at the end, just like every sitcom you've ever seen. So like, that's, Definitely the reputation Voyager has, but like in the midst of that, Janeway, you know, still comes out being one of the more respected captains due to the fact that like she's willing to do the things other people aren't. Steph, do you have any? I I mean, like I I am dude. Like I want to hear your opinion, not mine. I mean, I I feel like I've blabbed so much about Janeway already like I I really struggle to find criticism um about Janeway or really any of the Janeway especially because she's such a good captain like she has flaws which you can talk about she makes decisions that are controversial and really gets a conversation going so Janeway for me is kind of like the the ultimate female character like she She's well-rounded, she's well-thought-out, she makes mistakes, but she's also not dumb, she's intelligence, and you can see the logic, or, you know, you can kind of follow the train of thought behind every single one of her decisions. So, yeah, like, I I blab about Janeway all the time, and I will continue to do so. 
yeah. And in this case, like, I loved her even more after this episode, not just because she was in a really attractive white suit. <laughs> but then there's like also an episode where Dwayne the Rock Johnson shows up and punches seven of nine. Yeah. So like, there's a reason the show has the reputation it has. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I have to say this: like, even though they did stick seven of nine in a cat suit for the entire series, I feel right. like um, that Enterprise was was worse for the gratuitous shots. Because oh, yeah. it, oh, 100%. In, it, for like the first two seasons of Enterprise, it's just like, here's to pull. Like, here's her ass. Here's her skin. Let's get her as naked as possible all the time and have close outside naked. Yeah. 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 So I, I feel like they, gross. even though Seven of Nine was stuck in that cat suit, they, they still, like, they gave her good storylines and they let her grow as a character. Even though they did throw her into nonsense relationships that made very little sense. Spoiler alert, they yeah. stick her with Chakotay in like the last two episodes of, of Voyager in the series, and it makes zero sense. Zero. I will say, it's it, that's super uncomfortable, but like, you're right, Ryan and I have been watching the first couple seasons of Enterprise to prep for that uh, miniseries for us, just because mm-hmm. like, we I, I have seen bits and pieces of Enterprise over the years, but not all in a row. Right. That, that context for when we record for this. And I was like, all right, well, let's do it. You know, we got faith in the heart. Let's go. <laughs> and I literally, you know, the, it's it's the year of our Lord 2021. So when some of those scenes come up and you see that they're just shot with this, like, aggressive male gaze, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's really, like, disheartening to watch some of it yes you know like for instance T'Pol is a great character like and actually I've, I've grown to enjoy many of the characters on the show however um there are just moments where it slides so hard and so fast back into something that's like so deeply sexist yeah and it's really upsetting to watch at times yeah and it's one of those things where you know you dive into the behind the scenes and you quickly figure out that they're like well we need to make enterprise more sexy like if like it's the same reason with why there was such discourse when seven of nine came on Mm -hmm. um especially um with the cast because they're like well you're replacing Cass, and and you're essentially just bringing a character that's supposed to be sexy I was like, yeah, it makes sense, but that's why this shouldn't be your sole reason for introducing a character is eye candy. Yeah, and and Cable grew famously for for the first, like, two years or so that Jerry Ryan was on the show. Cable grew voiced her concerns saying, like, so why did you guys want me on this show? Yeah, it's like... What are are we doing here if this is ultimately what you're stooping to? And I think it was kind of over the years as, as Jerry Ryan took a lot of agency with her character and made it not that exclusively yeah but they were kind of able to bridge that gap and i obviously you know nowadays they they get along just fine yeah they've since like made up and, a huge conflict with the cast. yeah and and i understand too you're like the female lead of a show you're being progressive you're like she's a female captain she takes no shit um this is the kind of future that we want uh, without like all the obvious sexism that we have in media these days and then they introduce seven and nine at the first available opportunity and you're like this is a huge step back in terms of star trek yeah you Absolutely. know like all the things that seven of nine did eventually bring to the show the main motivation 
was a character for for the male gaze and and at the end of the day like mm-hmm. i can understand being a part of the show and then just being so incredibly disappointed and star trek does make these huge mistakes a lot i mean look at um uhura in the, in the reboot series I, I made or the mistake Carol in the reboot series. Yes. <laughs> I mean like I I made I made the mistake of reading the behind the scenes. I bought one of the costume books for Star Trek. Um and it covers a lot actually of the reboot series and I was really interested. But the conversations in it are disgusting because it, yeah. for the reboot series, it's literally the lead of costuming being like, oh, yeah, me and AJ, we're, JJ, we're talking and we're like, how do we make Uhura more sexy? We're going to do this uh, costume. It's like, yeah, I know they don't have zippers, but Uhura, we made uh, an exception for her costume because we really wanted to show her cleavage. Like this is stuff that made yep. it into a published book. I was like, are yeah, you no fucking kidding me? No one took a look at that and was like, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. what if we didn't? Exactly. So it's like, I love having these characters having an opportunity to dress up, you know, be proud of your body, be, but you shouldn't be introducing characters with the sole exception of being like, oh, we need someone sexy. Right. We need someone who's attractive. And then maybe down the road, we'll give them a storyline. Or if not, we'll boot them out like Hess, because Kess was a character that they're like, oh, we need someone pretty and delicate. You know, we, we need a pretty space elf. So they brought in Kess, but then they decided not to do anything with her. So they booted her from the show. And she had, she was interesting. She had potential, but they never went there. Yeah, her her whole thing was that, like, she didn't look, I mean, she had that mushroom haircut. Yeah. She had a deep voice. She was not traditionally feminine in a lot of the ways mm-hmm. that Star Trek normally views its female characters. Yeah. And, and, and they, know, like, immediately the stuck her as the nurse. Aside, yeah, they were able to, like, do some things with her that were interesting. Yeah, and that's... I. And that's why, like, Bellana and Janeway are two such great characters, even though at every opportunity they do try to pair them off right away. Like, yeah. Kim doesn't have a romance. That's fine. Why does why does Janeway, every time you take her off the bridge, she has to have a romance with someone? Why is the show f- so fixated on Bellana and Paris as a couple? And then Seven Which of Nine, is, yeah, they do the exact gross. same thing to Seven <laughs> of Nine. Like, her whole time, they're like, okay, so she's going to learn. And, of course, she's going to learn from the doctor or she's going to learn from this person. And then they're immediately going to become a couple or they're going to have chemistry. It's like, or they could just be really good friends that get along together. The best person Jerry Ryan has chemistry with is definitely the bartender in the Mass Effect episode of Picard. Oh, yeah. Where Jerry Ryan oh shows God. up and yes. has... Where it's very clear that instant. they had a relationship and it's like, yes, I'm here for this. <laughs> yes. I want more of this story, please. Thank you. Right? Yeah. But then She's the fact that Voyager spends so much time, like, trying to stick her with some of the males on the show. And then, of course, you know, the, the series finale, Chakotay, which came out of left field because they didn't really have much conversation. And then suddenly right. the show was like, Chakotay was the love of Janeway's, uh, sorry, was the love of um, Seven and Nine's life. And I was like, what? Really? <laughs> they were fine together. It's very, very odd. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. But that tangent aside, I mean, I could go on all day about that. Um, this episode, though, was really nice to kind of see them outside of those instances. And, you know, Bellana was fucking going to be a great parent. <laughs> She'll undo all of Paris's work. 
Yeah, right. So like Caitlin brought up earlier, Balana is pregnant in the simulation. It, it was, even kicks. Yeah, yeah. It even kicks. Uh, she talks about, you know, even after the neural emitters get turned off, she talks about, like, oh, like, you know, I can't feel my legs. Everything's, like, just moved in weird spots. Like, I, I love how honest about the, like, pregnancy it is. It Like, in that moment, like... It's not yeah. just like the glowing pregnant mom. It's yeah. like, no, I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did enjoy it. For, it was like refreshing honesty. It's like, yeah, you know, having a child is fantastic. It's great. But also being pregnant, you're fucking miserable all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you work with pregnant moms, you see that. It's like, yeah, they, they can't be happy. But for the most part, you literally have a parasite draining away your life. All, yeah, no, all your sucks. nutrients, all your hormones, like everything, and it's leaching on you all the time. And your, and your organs body. are moving to places where your organs yes. don't normally live. Your organs are literally shifting in place. Like, guys, you need to look at a picture of what it looks like pre-pregnancy where your organs are, and then like nine months pregnant where your organs have now moved in your abdominal cavity. It's insane, and you should then understand how painful of experience it is it's gross and stupid by a plan yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh end of the first episode seven of nine uh pulls away some books from a bookshelf and like does some like futuristic hacking knocks everybody's neural emitter offline and then they blow up the Nazi headquarters. Oh, yeah, just in time so Janeway doesn't shoot her to death. Right. Which, honestly, I think that's where the episode should have ended. That was such a like, big cut-to-commercial with... moment. I was so right. frustrated with it. Yeah. Like, her just cut it. Yeah, like, if she had just, like, raised the gun to her in that moment and they were like, that's the end of the episode, like, that would have been more compelling. I agree. Like, that's a, for a pacing perspective, it was odd. Yeah, yeah but that's, you... that's where the episode cut should have been. Yeah, but you know that they actually aired the episode together. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah, so when they aired, originally they were going to separate the two. But when they actually ended up airing it, they they turned it into a big night. Um, and they just aired the episodes back to back. That's interesting. That actually makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand but, yeah. why TV shows don't do it more often. Because I, I think it's well. Because they essentially turned it into right? a Voyager movie. Like, oh, that's great marketing. It is so much fun. That's awesome. I didn't know. That makes a lot more sense. I didn't know that that's how that went down. That's that's fantastic. I love it when that happens. 100%. (laughs) Well, that explains why the episode didn't end there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the episode does uh, end with Nazi headquarters getting blown up and then the holodeck simulations spilling out into, into Voyager, Voyager, which is like, oh, it's so cool. It's you wonderful. know, I mean, we, we, we spoke about Tom Paris doing a racism. But I love like, Janeway's trap she sets. Yeah, but like seeing like, you know, the World War II soldiers and the Klingons and the Herogens and everybody just like kind of like running through the hallways like back and forth. It just to me felt like the directors were just like playing with their action figures. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter that Batman and Iron Man aren't in the same universe. Like they're they're in the starship together. Like it it felt really cool. 
I was just gonna say the the cool chicks walk away from explosions moment. Um, <laughs> the special effects of that explosion were stellar. Um, one of the later explosions, not stellar, but those were really good. And even the like break in reality kind of thing that they did, I thought for late '90s television was really nice. Um, oh yeah, it, it looked so good uh, in my opinion. It's 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 a fun little bit that they toy with. And then we we get to the other holodeck program, which is Neelix is a Klingon. <sighs> it's it's lovely. Everyone else like, is in that World War actor, uh, Ethan Phillips has is in everything. Um, he's great. And, like, I recognize that he's a good actor, but Neelix should have been a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> From di- like Neelix. the dinosaur show, <laughs> like I don't know. I watched because he's, he's in like the first episode. There's like alien folks. I watched it like a month ago. I'm sorry, guys. And, it's okay. And he's there, and then he ends up on board the ship with them, and like hangs out with them, and like yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, what is he? Who is he? Why is he here? <laughs> okay, let me help you. <laughs> So Neelix, Steph, take it. Okay, Neelix essentially got dragged along um, with the at, the at the beginning of Voyager. Him and Kess decided to tag along um, after the, the Voyager first got abandoned in the Delta Quadrant, and he was like, "You know what? I don't have anywhere else to go. I'm gonna come with you guys, and I will get help you guys through the quadrant because you don't know anything." So originally, he was kind of the like uh, the guide. But the further and further they get away from his home area, I question Neelix's authenticity for being an actual guide because they're light years away from where the area he should know. But he somehow still always like knows an alien in the area, which makes zero sense. And the whole point of his character is that like he wants everyone to like him, but he doesn't actually bring anything to the table. He cooks, apparently. Very questionably, and everyone's kind of like, "Well, no one else will take the job of being the chef." He's, so he's a prototype for Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's yeah. supposed he's to be like Jar Jar energy. Yeah, he's supposed to be a joke, and then every once in a while they try to make him serious, and then you know what? I I don't know. Neelix and Paris are the two characters that I kind of question why they brought in there because Paris is just like a walking white American voice, bad boy stereotype. And Neelix is like the Jar Jar Binks, um, stupid character. That's like the few, the one alien that we really have on the ship that is truly alien and foreign to us. So he's personally, I find he's a big disappointment because I love my alien characters in Star Trek and I'm, and I'm all for like different cultures. Let's see what they, you know, what experiences they bring. And Neelix is just, he's just dumb. I, I don't have anything <laughs> nicer to say. He's just dumb, and unfortunately, we get stuck for with him with all seven did, seasons. Did they go like because in DS Nine they go really wide with the character, mm-hmm. the cast, and yeah. it, like I think it works. Um, yes, it feels bigger than TNG, but we get episodes where side characters are the like the protagonist of the episode. Yeah. Uh, that work really well. Um, I, according to you guys, like Harry Kim is, this is kind of his protagonist episode. Yeah. Um, which is yeah. really neat. But like, I've, I've felt in all of the episodes so far of 
Voyager that like the cast goes too wide, and I and I don't think it's just because I haven't watched enough of it. But like that's my biggest complaint mm-hmm. is that Tom Tom Paris is uh like a a callback to um oh wow um not why can I only think of Commander Pike uh, <laughs> the Kirk? other Kirk a yeah like yeah, a call yeah. like like we need mm-hmm. to throw like a Kirk character in here yes and since like Captain can't have any of it. But, like, he's out of place in time yeah. because of how the real world, like, reflects on the show yeah. <laughs> um, and is, like, frustrating. And then uh, Neelix is literally a Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it would be improved if Neelix was actually a Muppet. Yes. Like, with, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles technology from, like, the early 90s. Oh, oh where it's, like, a rubber that. suit. Yeah. yeah. I would love I just, that. They, just a stuntman in a Neelix suit. They throw him everywhere. Like, he ch- tries to join security with Tuvok, which arguably is hilarious because Tuvok hates his guts and is not afraid yeah. to say it. So I really appreciate the Tuvok calling him out. But that's kind of the attitude that everyone has towards Neelix. He doesn't ever, I think, really fit in with the crew. Like, he definitely helps at times, and he's there as an assist every once in a while. But he truly doesn't mesh well with the crew, so much that, like, at the end of the series, he leaves. He's like, yeah, I got a family now, bye, guys. And you could just <laughs> tell that the writers were like, yeah, what would really finish his Neelix's arc? He leaves, because Voyager is not his family. Which is disappointing, but he's not interesting in the fl- in the way that Flocks on like Enterprise is interesting, or any one of the DS Nine alien characters <laughs> is. He doesn't right. really contribute yeah. much besides like oh, he's the side humor character that really never gets much growth. Well, one thing that is difficult with Voyager, and you know, comparing it to something like DS Nine or TNG, where like you can have characters come and go, or they can just mm-hmm. visit once in a while. The only character you can really do that with in Voyager is Q, um, yeah. which, like, he does show up on a, on occasion, but, like, once you get Neelix, you're kind of stuck with Neelix. Yeah. You can't just be like, oh, Neelix is going back to Earth for a while to work, you know, in Cisco's dad's restaurant. You know, it's... like, you can't just be like, oh, he's doing something else for a while so we can focus on someone else. Like, you're kind of stuck with all these people indefinitely. But that's, but I, uh, but I kind of did like that about Voyagers. Every once in a while, they would pick up strays and then they would drop them off somewhere and, and carry on, you know, like what they did with the Borg children and everything. It's like, yeah, you know, you can start ferrying people from one end of the quadrant to the other along the way. And it's like, you could have done that with Neelix. Or, like, with Cass, it's like, Cass, they were like, well, we don't know what to do with her. We're going to drop well, her off somewhere. And and they, they should have done that with Neelix. They should have done that with Paris. Um, but, they, <laughs> they, but, like, you know, to, like, keep things from, to keep things fresh all the time, they should have just had, like, a character come in for half a season that joins them. You know, like, here's a weird-ass alien that will join us for a couple while. You know, they're paying their way, so Voyager will take them to this planet that's on their way. Well, and yeah. and in like overall television, and I, I know I, I talk about this a lot, but so you have TNG, which I think is modernization of of Star Trek of uh, OTS, um, OTS the original series, T- the original series, mm-hmm. um, and and it's kind of Alien of the Week, kind of not, and it, we we split off, and we have DS Nine, which is darker, um, that is very large scale world building very wide and like Voyager to me and 
a lot of it is shot like a noir. We have a lot of really dark sets, um, heavy shadows on people's faces through a lot of DS9. And I think a, f- a frustrating thing to me is like, this should be lit for characters like Neelix to exist. And I think that's kind of part of the problem is like, even though, I mean, this episode's dealing with something very heavy, but in the other episodes as well, like we still have this like, very dark kind of feeling and not just like we're out in space. And so there's less light coming in and, and most of the light's not organic, but we, we feel like it's not high. They could have high key lit this. I think Um, Mm -hmm. it it feels like it should almost be in like technicolor. Yes. Yeah. Like the, it's very flat um, colors wise. uh, And, and not just that it's flat, from a, a color grade perspective, but they they choose to use very muted colors for costumings and things, which is pretty traditional for Star Trek that like if they were in a bright red or a bright yellow, like it shouldn't look like 90s X-Men costumes. Yeah. Um, but maybe in this one, like it should in right. order to, to bring that feeling out. I just, ass- I just assume the dark lighting was because they have limited power for the ship. So they're like, yeah, we don't have good lighting because we only have so much power and we have to use that with the engines. For me, uh, Voyager, Voyager is the second Star Trek I've watched. Uh, we watched uh, TNG together, Caitlin and I did. And then Caitlin was like, you know, you know who's really cool? Janeway. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah? And she's like, yeah, Janeway's awesome. Let's watch Voyager. Wait. So we watched Voyager. Have you not like, seen, like, TOS? TOS at all? I mean, I've seen the good ones. Oh, God, Ryan. <laughs> okay, we'll discuss this off mic where I will lecture you, but let's carry on. <laughs> um, I'm, with, I'm with Ryan. <laughs> but, like, like I've seen enough of TOS. You know, I think you've I've probably... You've seen a couple of those I've, episodes. Yeah, I've probably seen, like, 24, at least 25 episodes. you've seen a handful of yeah, episodes. and to me, Voyager was just a perfect blend of TNG and TOS mm-hmm. because it wasn't as serialized as TNG. Because you know, TNG still has uh, it's it's not like serialized weekly like DS Nine, but it is serialized that you know you have points where like you know, okay, Tasha Yard eyes. And then, you know, Worf gets promoted and then the board show up. Like, so it has those touchstones, whereas I feel like Voyager was kind of like the perfect blend of like, what if we took TOS, gave it a facelift, and then we went back to exploring strange new worlds? Mm -hmm. Because you don't really get the strange new worlds part of Star Trek in TNG and definitely don't get it in the same way. Yeah. in DS9. That's true. Whereas Voyager, I feel like that was the template. It was, you know, we we want to get back to like the monster of the week. We want to introduce aliens once and then, you know, oh, we're never going to like see those aliens again. Who cares, you know? I feel like that was more of the goal of Voyager. And I feel like Voyager like definitely hits that. You know, I mean, like the Herosians in this episode, you know, they're they're the big bad. They were only in like three episodes before this two-parter. You know, that's that's not a lot, especially considering the fact that, you know, this was the 90s. The seasons of television were 26 episodes long. You know, like, if, if you were not watching every week, who are the Herosians, you know? Think about how much, like, more 
flat the lighting is in TOS. Right. Like, it, I think if this show looked like TOS, it would work better for for me personally. Um, because I do think it harkens more to that than it does to the grander plots that rolled off of TNG into DS9. So back back to the killing game and Neelix as a Klingon. Ugh, it's very, very weird. Uh, Ethan Phillips is great, though. Like, he, he is pulling it off as a Klingon, and then when the neural transmitter goes off, He's back to, you know, his bumbling, baffling self. And that's that's kind of cool to kind of see that twist. You know, we were sitting down watching this and, you know, you hear like, oh, the holodecks are going crazy. Characters from the holodecks are coming out into the hallways. And I looked at Caitlin and I just said, I'm ready to watch some Klingons fuck up some Nazis. <laughs> and boy, howdy, you get to see Klingons fuck up Nazis. And like... <laughs> I don't know if there's a greater feeling. There's nothing better than that that POV shot where like the Nazi takes the bottle to the chest. Like that's great. Mm, that is the vibe of 2021. I want. Anytime someone mentions Nazis or like those neo Nazis is running around, I just picture a Klingon stabbing them in the chest, and I immediately feel better. <laughs> this episode has such a like scary, timely moment when the holodeck Nazi turns the the alien against his commandant, against his own commander, like, gets him to really buy in all the... Basically, like, he blackpills him. Right. Into, into his own thing. And, like, it's terrifying to watch that happen. It's somebody who's, like... Because I, that's the very real thing that's kind of happening. If you think there's a rise in fascism... Um, which I, I would say there is, it's like, it's people that are angry about the situation around them, and then they run into the the smooth-talking Nazi who convinces them to become a Nazi. And <laughs> yep. ultimately, the Nazis get their kermuppets in the show, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. But like, man, that's a scary moment. Right. Mm -hmm. So what Dylan is saying is every house needs a battle. <laughs> yes, I agree. Like, just every house needs a Klingon Batleth, like right at the front door, just in case the Nazis come and knock it. Yeah. I am ashamed <laughs> to say that I do not own a Batleth at this time. I think we have one that's like I have a one that's opener. the size of a letter opener, and I like to use it to open boxes for Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true fun. I actually um yeah, I use my swords. I have other sci-fi weapons. Um I have a Star Trek phaser, but I can't. Uh, the phaser's not working for me. It's really weird. <laughs> nice. It fantastic. does turn on my TV, though. <laughs> oh, that's nice. cool. That's yeah. awesome. That's very cool. <laughs> Thanks. It uh, makes a noise know, every time. <laughs> I do know uh, other frequent guests of the show, Forrest. He has his Amazon device set up to respond to computer. Oh, yes. Uh, so he feels like he is living in the 24th century as well. Definitely need that phaser TV remote. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, yeah it, it's from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. it's, it's from the <laughs> 90s. I got mine. They're used now because they didn't make them. Um, yeah. 
It's I'm sure it's from the 90s. It that is from the 90s. sounds like something the 90s produced. Right? It's going to last forever. It, it has not broke. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely Fantastic. more durable than anything they'd make today. No, that's true. Yeah, but it's Caitlin, probably got some any... like, cyanide or something in it that'll kill me slowly. <laughs> right. Slowly, just like leaking mercury out. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Caitlin, do you have any closing thoughts on the killing game? I just think we should reinforce that Tom Paris continues to be a fuckboy even in the simulation. <laughs> and, like, he's supposedly, you know, the the 20th century Earth, like, expert on the crew, but, like, he's mm-hmm. still just kind of, like, derps around to the side being like, I need to go find me a girl. Uh, a good old what American is female. Say yeah. something about like watch that lead in your legs or something and I was just like dude you suck <laughs> go away fantastic I'm glad we've converted you five episodes into Voyager about how much Tom Paris sucks apologies to Robert Duncan McNeil yeah sure again Robert we love you you're a great director I enjoy your career but fuck Tom Paris <laughs> Oh, Dylan, do you have any closing thoughts on this two-parter? Uh, yeah, I just want to say that I think that Quentin Tarantino had seen this and incorporated some of like the Hunt speech in the beginning of the first episode, or near the beginning of the first episode, uh, in the opening scene of *Inglorious Bastards*. Um, it's definitely like kind of want to watch both of those side by side, and the uh, yeah camera shot where it's looking between the two aliens at Kim on the ground is beautiful and wonderful and like really cool. Uh, th- those are my closing thoughts. Um, thank you guys so much for having me again. Yeah, of course. Steph, yeah. any closing thoughts not related to Tom Paris? Yeah. Uh, fuck Nazis. Oh, they really, yeah. yeah I just, the Klingons had it right. Stab him in the chest with a bat lift. You come across a Nazi. Um, other than that, um, yeah, Janeway in the white suit. Just like Google for that image to get some, Hell yeah. to really enjoy your night. <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to say that. I love that without sounding super pervy. No, no, it's no, great. It's, she looks. It's real so good. <laughs> it's just she's got like such a commanding presence, and you're just like, oh, I love you. It's like the uniform too, but just you know when she really gets her own individual costume. Like, all the other characters, when they kind of step into civilian clothes, you're like, okay, you know, you look like a normal person. When Janeway is in civilian clothes, you're still like, she is a badass woman. Um, You just, like, you get that vibe from her, no matter what her wardrobe is, and I just love it so much. Yeah, she carries herself well, no matter what she's in. It's fantastic and awesome. I just want to be here when I grow up. (laughs) Oh. Well, that is definitely a goal to have. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Star Two Trek. Next week we will be covering Dark Frontier, which will be a lot of fun. And as always, to be continued.